0: Welcome to the Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church podcast, your place for positive, uplifting messages of hope. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. We're called to be a light to the world and open for business wherever there is opportunity to share God's love. Robert Quintana continues with part two of his series, A World of Opportunity. Anyone here ever been to New York City? I will tell you that uh, when I had the opportunity To go there for the first time as an adult, I had quite the to-do list. There were things that I wanted to do while I was there in New York. One of the things, of course, I wanted to see the Statue of Liberty. And uh, we didn't realize that we had to uh, reserve tickets to actually go there and go into it. So um, we went to Battery Park and we were able to see it. There in the harbor, in the distance. And, you know, that was good enough for me for the first visit to New York. Of course, I wanted to experience the subway system, you know. I wanted to go to Little Italy and try out, uh, uh, you know, some good uh, Italian cuisine. Um, There were several other things I wanted to do. This one might be a little bit off the wall, but I wanted, since I'm a Seinfeld fan, I wanted to go see uh, the cafe uh, that you see at the beginning of any scene where they're in the diner. And so we went, and, and sure enough, we saw the, you know, the cafe, the, the diner there, and we actually ate in the diner. Um, you know, your typical uh, greasy spoon diner. Um, you know, Heather and I are, are vegetarians, and, and we did try and scurry through the menu trying to find something that was vegetarian. We, were, we found something. I don't know that it was any healthier than the rest of the menu. Um, but, uh, you know, we had a good time, so we, we got to, to see that. I uh, also wanted to go to uh, Central Park, a lot bigger than what I had imagined. It's a beautiful place, Central Park. I mean, people are running, jogging, biking, um, playing. Their bands are out. It was just a really neat experience to see uh, Central Park. And one of the things on my list to do, which is really strange, this is going to sound really just off the wall, uh, but one of the things I really wanted to do while there in New York City is I wanted to hail a taxi. I mean, if if you're going to call for a taxi, what better place to do it than in New York City? And so uh, when the time came, And it was the appropriate time to go from point A to point B in a taxi. Got my courage up, and I had heard that you have to be confident. You know, don't mess around. Just step out into the road and just put your hand up and confidently, with authority, just wave down that taxi to come get you. And so, you know, I got myself ready. This is big. Hailing a taxi in New York City. All right, here we go. Honey, you ready? I'm going for it. Go out in the street, put my hand out, and I kid you not, I made eye contact with that driver as he just passes by. (laughs) Wait a second. What did I do wrong? Was I just not confident enough? Did I not wave my hand, you know, Flailently. All right, I got to do this again. All right, so I see another one coming. Stick my hand out. Start waving. Passes right by. I was like, "Wait a second. What's going on here? This shouldn't be so difficult." Come to find out that if the little light on top of the cab is off, they're not going to stop. It's true. If the light is off, that means they already have a customer and they're going from point A to point B. They're already taking someone. They're not going to stop for someone else. So I found this out. I learned that the little light on top of the cab has to be on. And so I spotted one coming down the road with the light on. And so I wasn't as confident this time, but as much strength I could muster up, came out to the road, and sure enough, came to a screeching halt, opened the door, ready to go in. Can I tell you, better than any roller coaster ride I've ever (laughs) been on, it is an experience (laughs) to ride in the back seat of a taxi in New York City, weaving in and out of traffic, accelerating like there's no tomorrow, you know, running, you know, what I would consider red lights, but uh, it it was definitely a joy. Why do I tell you this story? In the context of a sermon series on evangelism, why do I share with you this story of me hailing a cab And then having to realize that the light needs to be on. I'm telling you this in the context of evangelism because I need everyone here to have their light on. Everyone here needs to have an attitude that I am in service. I am open for business. We need to have the light on. Will you bow your heads with me as we pray? Our Father in heaven, Lord, we come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, and we're just about to open your word, so we want to take a moment and acknowledge that you are our creator, you are our Lord, you are our Savior, and the fear of you is the beginning of wisdom. So we come before you admitting our weaknesses, and asking for your Holy Spirit to move in our lives to help us understand the words that we're about to read. In Jesus' name, we ask this. Amen. You might remember last week if you were here. If not, I want to kind of bring you up to speed on the question, what is evangelism? That's the question that we tried to answer last week, and I think we did a pretty good job at answering the question, what is evangelism? I gave you several scenarios from Scripture, and I asked you the question, is this evangelism? You might remember those stories that I shared with you, the first, the woman at the well. Here the Samaritan woman has this encounter with Jesus at the well, and after her encounter with Jesus, she goes back to her town, and the Bible says that many believed because of her testimony. And then I ask you the question, is that evangelism? Now, after having gone through the whole sermon last week and defining what evangelism truly is, which we're going to get to again here in just a few minutes, we determined that what this woman did indeed was evangelism. She had this encounter with Jesus. She went back to her town. The Bible says many believed because of her testimony. What she did was evangelism. Now, that kind of puts us in a in an interesting place. You see, because if we agree that what she did is evangelism, we can no longer move on. We can no longer go forward saying, well, you know what? You know, I haven't had the training. You know, I don't know enough of the Bible. I don't know how to give Bible studies. I I can't share the good news of Jesus Christ. I can't be an evangelist. I haven't gone to seminary. We, We can't say, you know, I haven't been living according to God's will for my life. Because when we take a look at this woman's life, we realize that this woman didn't have any training. She didn't go to seminary. It wasn't like she was opening the word of God every morning and reading from the word of God. It's not like she was living according to God's will for her life up until that point. But yet she had that encounter with Jesus and what happened? She went back to her town and she testified. She shared with the people there, what Jesus had told her, and we all agreed that what she did was evangelism. The second story I shared with you, you might remember, it was David. When David sinned before God and the prophet came before him and said, David, you have sinned greatly before God. You know, David did not harden his heart. Instead, the Bible tells us that he humbled himself, he surrendered and you can read his prayer of surrender in Psalms chapter 51, where he goes before God and he says, God, I am sorry, forgive me, I cannot believe I've done this. Lord, against you and you only have I sinned. And then he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And so he confesses to God, he asks God for forgiveness, and then it says that David says, after he's asked for forgiveness, he says, I will teach transgressors your ways. After he experiences the forgiveness of God, he says, God, I will teach transgressors your ways. And I ask you the question, is that evangelism? Teaching others of the goodness and forgiveness of God in your life, is that evangelism? Absolutely, it is. And then I shared with you uh, one that's pretty obvious. It's Jesus on the Sermon of the Mount where he gets in front of the multitudes and he preaches to them the good news of the kingdom of God. And he shares with them and he teaches them about God's kingdom and about forgiveness and about how we should treat one another and how we should have peace and purpose. And see, for many of us, that is our view of evangelism. Right? You have that one central figure. You have the pastor or you have the evangelist who comes into town and he preaches to the masses. And then when he's done, he moves on to the next city. I asked you, is what Jesus did there on the mount, on the Sermon of the Mount, was that evangelism? Everyone said, yes, it is. And indeed, it is evangelism. But see, that's what most of us think of. When we think of evangelism, we think of the evangelist, the expert, the trained professional, you know, the, the one who has a doctorate in evangelism. We think of the one who is has gone to seminary, and now we invite him to come to church for one week, two weeks, maybe three weeks to have an evangelistic crusade, a series of evangelistic meetings. We use all these terms. And then... He does evangelism. At the end of the series, he leaves. And the church then says, all right, we can cross off evangelism off the list. Check it off. We've done evangelism. We don't have to do evangelism till next year, till next fall or to the spring. We, we've done evangelism. We don't, we don't need to do evangelism until we invite the next evangelist to come into town. When we take a close look at what evangelism really is in Scripture, we get a completely different picture of what most of us think of what evangelism is. You see, because Christ calls everyone, everyone here today, he calls every single one of us to be an evangelist. Now, I spent some time breaking down that word in the Greek, I'm not going to spend too much time on that this morning. If if you're interested and you weren't here last week, just go to our website, download it, or ask our sound room for a copy of last week's sermon. But but I want to, again, remind you of what that word evangelism means in Scripture. The word evangelism really doesn't appear in Scripture. The word evangelist does. And the word in the Greek is eu angelistis. Now, for those of you that were here last week, what does eu mean? Good. That's all. Pretty simple. Eu means good. Angelistis, which is where we get the word angel from, which means messenger, means a message. In this case, angelistes means one who brings a message or One who shares or preaches a message. So now you put good together with angelistis and you have one who shares or one who brings a good message. And in the context of Scripture, in the context of the New Testament, what is that good message? That good message is the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ. The fact that Jesus Christ, God, came to this earth and became man to live among us, to die on a cross for your sins and for my sins. And because of the blood that was shed on Calvary, we now stand righteous before God in the presence of Jesus Christ. We now stand righteous in his sight, and Jesus then extends to us the gift of eternal life, and he says, here, this is for you, and then he gives us the promise that someday he's going to come, and he's going to bring an end to sin once and for all, and that the work that he has started in our lives he will complete, and that this corruptible will put on incorruption, and that this mortal must put on immortality. That is the good news. And so to be an evangelist or to do evangelism means anyone who brings the good news of Jesus Christ, anyone who brings a good message to someone. That is evangelism. And so last week, the call went out. Every single one of us needs to be an evangelist. Every single one of us needs to have the light on in service, open for business. We are ready to serve, ready to serve anywhere, anytime. Why? Because the light is on. Why? Because I have awesome news to share with you. I have an awesome message to tell you. I need to tell you what Jesus has done in my life, that is what it means to be an evangelism evangelist. Now, I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John. We're going to go back to the story of the woman at the well, John chapter four, verse one. Matt, John chapter four, verse one. It's a beautiful story. It's one that if you have not read, or maybe you haven't read it in a long time, I I encourage you to spend some time just going through this story once again. Every time I read this story, there are things, certain things that jump out at me. And I want to point some of those out to you as as we read. We're not going to read the whole story, but we're going to start with verse 1. John chapter 4, verse 1. I'm reading from the New King James Version today. John chapter 4, verse 1 says this, Therefore when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples. That's one thing that jumps out at me. Now, we don't have time to dig into that. It's not what today's message is about. But just think about that. Jesus didn't baptize. It was his disciples that baptized. Verse 3, he left Judea. And departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. Now that's another thing that jumps out to me. The fact that the Bible says that he needed. Well what do you mean he needed? Now interestingly enough. Samaria was on the way from Judea to Jerusalem. But it wasn't the common route that Jews took. No, 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 no. They avoided Samaria. They didn't want to go to Samaritans. They didn't want to interact with Samaritans. You see, they didn't get along. There was bad blood. There was history there. And so they chose to take a route that went through the valley of the Jordan. And so they would kind of go around Samaria. But the Bible here says that Jesus needed. Isn't that an interesting word? That the Bible says that he needed To go to Samaria? I I ask myself, why does the Bible say that? Or I ask myself, why did Jesus need to go through Samaria? I mean, he really didn't need to, or did he need to? The reason why Jesus needed to go through Samaria is because the Holy Spirit was prompting him To go through Samaria. Now that's not written here in the text, but if you read between the lines and and you understand a little bit of about Christ's mission and how he maneuvered while here on earth, that is the conclusion you have to reach. The conclusion is that Jesus needed to go to Samaria because the Holy Spirit was telling him, Jesus, I need you to go through Samaria. I need you to go through there. There is a purpose. There is a plan. There is something that I need you to do. And so, because Jesus was so obedient to God the Father and to the Holy Spirit, he had no choice. He had no choice. It's not like he said, you know, Holy Spirit, I I hear you telling me this, but you know what? Let's Let's leave it for another day. You know, maybe on my way back down to Judea, then I'll go through Samaria. Uh Uh-uh. God was leading him to Samaria. The Bible says Jesus needed to go. And this, by the way, is something that we can apply to our lives. You see, because oftentimes we are prompted by the Holy Spirit to be an evangelist. We are sometimes prompted in life to share the good message, We're prompted to share with someone what Christ has done to our lives, and we think it's an option. We say, you know what? Not today. You know what? I'm too busy. You know what? I have a to-do list a mile long. I need to get going. But if we are to be obedient, and if we are to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ... When we are prompted by the Holy Spirit, we need to have the attitude, as Jesus did, that says, I have to. I have no choice. I have to go through Samaria. The light has to be on. I'm open for business because the Holy Spirit is prompting me to do so. And so we continue reading the story. It says that Jesus needed to go through Samaria. Verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, listen, I understand that there are times in life where You know, we just don't feel like having the light on. We just don't feel it. We're tired. We're weary. We're hungry. We're thirsty as we will find out that Jesus was. You know, I I just, I'm too tired, God. I'm just too weary right now to have my light on. And so we turn the light off and we drive by people. Day in and day out, we drive by people all day long, whether it's in the hallways of our work, whether it's in the, the, the living space of our of our home, whether it's in, in the the foyer of this church, whether it's in the aisles of the grocery store. We pass people all the time because we're busy. We're too tired. We're weary. There's things to do. And so we turn the light off and we just drive right by. Let me ask you a question. Jesus was hungry. Jesus was thirsty. And Jesus was tired. Undoubtedly, Jesus had a place to go. He was headed to Galilee. Let me ask you this question. Was Jesus' light off or was it on? It was on. Even though he had every excuse in the book... To have his light off. Jesus had his light on. And because he had his light on, he sees this woman coming towards the well. I mean, think about this, folks. He was so tired that he let the disciples go to town to buy the food. That's how wearied he was. You know, they just, they maybe, uh, we, our understanding is that he possibly walked up to 20 miles that day. We think that he probably started at the break of dawn in, in the morning. And so he's been walking all day. And he gets to the, to the well and he is exhausted. He is tired. And, and he says, Guys, wh- why don't you guys just go on? You know, why don't you just go, go to town and, and just get something? You know, I do that all the time, actually. You know, Heather and I are running errands around town, and, and it just kind of gets to a point where I'm like, man, I don't, I don't think I want to run into another store. Babe, why, why don't you just go in? I'll just stay here in the car, roll down the windows, listen to some music, maybe rest my eyelids for a little bit. And she said, well, is there anything you need? Is there anything I can get you? Maybe the disciples said, Jesus, is there anything that, that I can get for you while I'm in town, while we're in town? Yeah, yeah, go to that bakery on St. John's Avenue and St. Joseph Street. I just made that up, but I hope you picked up on that. Get me some of that bread. You guys go on. I'm going to sit here for a little bit. Most of us would have turned the light off. But Jesus did not. Jesus kept his light on. This is what it says. It says here in verse 6, Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. We believe that's around noontime. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Stop right there. Here you have this woman coming to the well. I imagine that this woman was in her own little world. There could have been a thousand things going through her mind when she was coming to that well. She sees, I imagine that she sees Jesus, recognizes him as a Jew, and never makes eye contact with him again. He looks in his direction, he recognizes him as a Jew... She immediately internalizes within. Jews and Samaritans don't get along. He probably hates me. I have no reason to hate him, but I'm going to pretend like I do. I'm just going to go about my business. She didn't realize that she was coming into the presence of someone who had their light on. And so she approaches the well. And Jesus is there. Jesus cannot help it, can he? I mean, there's no way that Jesus can just sit and see this woman coming and pick up from her all the the trials, the turmoil, the pain, the unrest that that he's sensing from her and just say, oh, well, maybe I'll get her on the way back. Maybe one of the disciples will get to her and just fall back and, and rest his head. He had every right to have his light off. He was hungry. He was tired. He was thirsty. He'd been traveling all day. But no. When he sees this woman in need, he has compassion. His heart is just overwhelmed with compassion towards her. And Jesus becomes an evangelist. Because here's the deal. Jesus understands the good message. He understands that he can bring healing to this woman's life. He understands that he can bring forgiveness into this woman's life. That he can bring peace into this woman's life. He understands that he has a good message and can give this woman purpose, a reason to live. So he can't hold it back. And so when this woman comes... He's just there itching. I I need to engage her somehow because I have news that's going to change their life. I have news that's going to change her life. How can I engage her? And so in verse 7, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Give me a drink. Where his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. When the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. What are you doing? We're we're at odds. I've avoided making eye contact with you this whole time. And now you're engaging me? You're asking me for a drink? In verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. You see, Jesus, he stands there now as the evangelist. His light is on. He knows that he has a message that's going to bring healing that's going to bring forgiveness, that's going to bring peace, that's going to bring purpose into this woman's life. And so she stands, he stands, and says to her, I need to engage somehow. And he says, give me a drink. Let me ask you guys a question. Why in the world would Jesus engage this woman. I mean, I I understand that he has a good message to share. I, I understand that. But aside from that, beyond that, go a little deeper. Why would Jesus engage her? Why? The most quoted passage in all of Scripture tells us why. For God so loved. For God so loved. And so, as he sees this woman coming to him, and because his heart is so filled with love for this woman, and because he possesses the answers to the questions that haunt this woman out of love. He says, my light's on. I'm going to share with her the good message of God Almighty. Where does that leave us? Where does that leave us now? This is where we now have to face the music. And this is where I'm now gonna dig really deep and I'm gonna make a lot of you feel uncomfortable. But could it be that the reason why we choose to turn the light off, could it be that the reason why we choose not to be an evangelist is because we really don't love? We love ourselves, yeah. We love ourselves a little too much. You see, we put ourselves first. We put our priorities and our value system. We put our time schedule. We put our family and our friends. We put all of that first. But we really don't love others. We really don't love our neighbors. We really don't love outside these church walls. It's just too complicated. It's just too difficult. It's just too dirty. So when I leave this church... I'm going to turn the light off because I just don't want to deal with the mess. But think about it. If you loved, and when I say love, I mean the agape kind of love that Jesus shows here, okay? If we truly loved people, don't you think that we'd keep our light on all the time? And when we see someone, we don't just say, oh, look at that. Steam's coming out of their, their engine. You know, I wonder when was the last time they checked their fluids and just keep on going. I mean, if we really loved, would we not keep our light on? But here's the deal. Here, you just can't flip a switch. You just can't wake up tomorrow morning and, and, and start loving people. Right? Uh, yeah, it's easy for me to say, okay, just love people and turn your light on. It doesn't happen that way. Pastor, have you met people out there? They're really unlovable. You just can't turn a switch and start loving people. So what gives? Where do we go from here? Here here, Here it comes. Because to understand how to love people, we need to go even a little deeper than we've already gone. Okay? So we've already established that the reason why we don't flip the switch on, the reason why we're not an evangelist is because we lack the kind of love that God has for us, that God has for others, okay? So why is that? Here it is, and here lies what I believe is the key to all evangelism. Here it is. You don't understand how much God loves you. If you have a hard time loving people, you, my friend, have a heart or are misunderstanding or don't fully comprehend how much God Loves you. Because here it is. If you understood. How utterly pathetic. And sinful you are. I am. I mean if you truly understood. That even your righteous deeds are like filthy wrath. I mean, if you really understood that while you were still enemies with God. He died on a cross for you. And extends to you the gift of eternal life. And extends to you the promise of a better tomorrow. And says, I, if you are in me, there is no condemnation despite your wretchedness. Despite all the sin in your life, if you are in Christ, there is no condemnation. If you understood what Christ has done for you, if you understood how much God really loves us, loves me. When we encounter someone, folks, I'm telling you, we can't help but to turn the light on. And say, let me just share with you the God that I know. Let me just share with you that that even though I turn my back on God day after day, and I betray him and I disobey him and, and he still chooses to love me, he still chooses to be in this covenant relationship with me. If you understood that you couldn't help but to want to share that with someone else. I want everyone in this room here today, I want everyone who's listening to my voice right now to be an evangelist. I I want everyone to have their light on. But I understand that we will not have our light on unless we love people. But I also understand That there's no way that we're going to love anyone unless we first realize how much God has loved us. So let's go backwards here. Let's start from the end and and go to the beginning. You need to spend time looking at your own life and being real with yourself. And you need to, to have this moment with God where you say, God, I have sinned. I have been arrogant for way too long. I I have relied on theology. I have have relied on works. I have relied on too many things to assure myself of my salvation. The truth is that I am a sinner. The truth is, is that I am in need of you and that without you, I am nothing. And then you need to experience the loving. Arms of Jesus embracing you as your face is on the dirt, embracing you and picking you up and saying to you, Where are your accusers? Just go and sin no more. I'm here. I forgive you. I give you peace. I give you purpose. I give you hope for tomorrow. And once you get to that point, when you realize everything that God has done for you, you will be more apt to keep that light on and to be an evangelist for Christ. Our Father in heaven, Lord, we have failed you in so many ways. We just go about our lives as nothing. Nothing. God, today, we recognize that that we are the sinners. That we are the ones in need of your grace. That we are the ones that have failed you. Father God, I thank you and I praise you for your love this morning. That's unconditional. It's constant. It's new every morning. You say to us, come, come all who are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Believe in me and I will give you life. God, we thank you and we praise you for your great love for us. Now, God, as we leave this place, let us have the light on. Let us keep that light on whoever we come into contact with, wherever that may be in the grocery store, in the workplace, let us keep that light on. Let us share the good message of the redemption story with those who need to hear it. God, I thank you in Christ's name. Amen. No matter where you are in your spiritual journey, Frederick Seventh-day Adventist Church would love to help you along the way. We are a family-oriented, grace-filled church serving the Frederick, Maryland area. You can learn more about us at fredericksdachurch.org. For more podcasts, click the sermon audio link.